0: The Old Testament lesson for the fifth Sunday in Lent is from Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, Saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. One of the things that you can see clearly in our lessons this morning is that there is no sense in trying to apologize for Jesus. There's no sense in trying to make excuses for him. The things that he does and the things that he says don't need any apology, although we might like to apologize for them, although we might be embarrassed by them. There's really no way you can explain away some of the things Jesus does. I imagine the disciples standing around while Jesus says to those who are listening to him, you are of your father, the devil. I can imagine them wanting to pipe down just a bit. Do you have to be so forward? Do you have to be so mean, so brash? Can't you just temper that a little bit? Surely they're not of their father, the devil. Maybe they're just a little bit confused. But no, you are of your father, the devil. There's no explaining it away, no excusing it, no apologizing for it. Jesus tells it like it is. And in our Old Testament lesson, he does something. God, our Heavenly Father, does something that you cannot explain away. He asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loved. And Abraham obeyed. It's often the case that folks try to explain this away. They say, well, this was, you know, God was just, God was testing him as he said. And so this was just kind of a game of chicken seeing who would flinch first. And God flinched first, so Abraham won that game of chicken. But that's not really the way it's going. God says to Abraham, Sacrifice your son, and Abraham believed God because God meant it. He wasn't tricking Abraham. He wasn't fooling him. He wasn't bluffing. He wanted Abraham to offer up his son. Abraham passes the test, because he is willing to give up his son. He does not withhold his son, his only son, from God. Think about what it meant for Abraham even to put one foot in front of another on his way to Mount Moriah. There could have been no hesitation, no doubt in his mind if he were to even set out on that journey. We talk about this often, how actions begin in your heart. And so sins like murder and lust, before you ever raise your hand to do violence to another person, there's a sin that begins in your heart, hatred, or desiring what isn't yours. In the same way, there's no way at all that Abraham could have set one foot in front of another, much less put the wood on the back of his son, much less take him to the top of the mountain and bind him, much less raise the knife, if he hadn't already in his heart given away his son to God. This was not a trick. This was not some sort of a joke. God meant what he said, and Abraham believed him, and so Abraham was willing to give up his son. Now, this chafes against us in all kinds of ways. The world hates, hates this lesson, and many Christians do as well. We want to apologize for God. We want him not to be like that. We say, any God who condones child sacrifice cannot be good. We have to think about that a little bit more carefully. And I want to start in this way. Uh, Child sacrifice, of course, is forbidden by God. It's one of the things that he names in the books of the law as being an abomination. He says to the people of Israel, None of you shall go and offer your children as sacrifices to those gods, those Canaanite gods, who do, in fact, ask you to sacrifice them. You shall not join with those Canaanite people and offer your children on altars to Moloch or Baal. That's what God says. He forbids it. And I think instinctively we expect that that's because it's murder, taking an innocent life. That's why God forbids it. But there is something actually deeper going on. It's not simply that it would be taking an innocent life, but that it would be offering up children to idols. It would be sacrificing a child to a statue made of wood and stone. It would be giving up your child to something that was made with human hands. It isn't just that it's murder, it's that it's blasphemy. Why would you offer your children to gods made of wood and stone? Why would you offer your children to material things who cannot save Who cannot deliver who do not make promises who do not hear or answer your prayers why would you offer your children to those kinds of gods that's the reason why god says you may not sacrifice your children to those gods it is not simply because it's murder it's not simply on account of the violence that is entailed but it is because it would be unbelief false worship and in fact as we discover in our gospel lesson there are really only two kinds of worship true worship and false worship. I said to you a few weeks ago that if you want to know where the demons are present in our world, all you have to do is look for the lies in our world. And the fact is that lies are everywhere and there is only one option or the other, the truth or the lie. So if you offer up your children to idols, God says, you are in fact not just offering up your children to statues made of wood and stone, but you are offering them to demons. You're offering them to lies. You're offering them the devil. It is a much bigger picture of what goes on in the Canaanite religion. It is a much bigger picture of what God forbids when he says, do not sacrifice your children to idols. Now, if you look on the Wikipedia page for child sacrifice, you'll see that the general consensus is that child sacrifice has gone away in our world, that that was a really primitive notion that belonged to ancient peoples who had all kinds of superstitious ideas about the world. You can find it only today in such strange places as primitive backwoods places in Africa. Child sacrifice has been er eradicated because we are enlightened. In the modern world, we no longer offer our children to statues made of wood and stone. You know better, I think, however. Start with the really obvious. This is such an easy example. I almost don't have to offer it. The fact that 40 to 50 million babies are aborted every year in the world. One out of five babies. I was startled to discover this. I knew it was a big number, but one out of five babies in America are aborted. Now just think about that, what that means in terms of sacrifice. This is not anything political. It's hard to hear abortion and think political, but I just want you to think about the religious aspect of this. What does it mean when children are killed in the womb. They're offered as sacrifices, not to idols, statues made of wood and stone, but for other reasons, to other gods, to gods of convenience, or freedom from responsibility, or money, or comfort. Those gods are just as real, just as demonic, as gods made of wood and stone. People don't offer up sacrifices of their children for fertility or to gain favor with gods, but simply to have their lives be easier. Now, I point that out to you because I want you to see that there's a lie propagated in our world that people don't offer up their children as sacrifices. But I want to push this even further because abortion is almost too easy an example. I want you to think about other ways that people offer up their children as sacrifices. There is actually another really easy example that the world knows, the world recognizes, and it's this. Imagine a father who is a workaholic, so that he can never spend any time with his children, can never spend any time fathering his children. What does the world say about that father? They say that he has sacrificed his children for his career, for his job, for money, for success. It's an apt description, isn't it? He has given up, he has offered up his children for something that he wants, for a God that he worships. His job, his success, his comfort, his happiness. It's a real sacrifice. Yes, it's not a bloody sacrifice. Yes, there's no violence. There's no knife raised. But it is a sacrifice, nonetheless. And the gods are just as real, even though they're not represented by statues of wood and stone. But let me press this even further. Because there is a kind of sacrifice which looks very good to our world. And that is, say, for instance, a father who, although he never brings his children to church, insists to them that school is the most important thing. They should get a good education, they should be faithful and loyal to their family, they should be good to their friends, they should work hard, they should be industrious, they should make their way in the world, they should be responsible. What has that father done? As far as the world is concerned, he's a grade A father, the best father there is. But he has yet offered his children to something. And if it is not the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what is it? It is the measures of success that this world loves, making money, making a way for yourself in this world, being comfortable, being proud of what you've accomplished. Those are gods, just the same as idols made of wood and stone, just the same as desiring to be free, just the same as convenience and comfort and money. Those are gods as well, and here's the point that you can see so clearly in our gospel lesson If they are false gods, they are not just, material, empty things, but they are of the devil. They are demonic. To offer up children to even the most noble things in this world is the worship of demons. It's sacrificing children, yes, not on an altar made of wood, no, not binding them or placing them on pieces of wood to burn, but offering them up nonetheless. Yes, in some sense, that's better That grade-A father is doing far better than the pagan who actually kills his children and burns them with fire. But still, still, it's an offering. This is an important distinction to make, an important thing to see clearly. That there is only true and false worship in this world and in this life. There is only true and false worship. And if it is not worship of the true God, it is worship, in fact, of the devil. And one way to think about what you worship is this. What do you devote yourself to? So you can see it in the picture of the workaholic father. What does he devote himself to? That is his God. And in fact, you could think of it as a family God. Just as ancient peoples used to have an altar in their home that they would dedicate to their patron God, so also everyone in our world has an altar in their home to which they offer up sacrifices, whether it is their children or it is their time or it is their money or it is their leisure. They offer up sacrifices. We're either offering our children to God or the devil. and The same holds even if you don't have children. It's not just about sacrificing children. We are either always offering ourselves up to God or the devil. Who is pictured on your family altar? What do you devote yourselves to? To whom do you offer sacrifices? For whom are you living sacrifices? What are your lives for? Now I say all of this To get you to think for one thing, but also to put in perspective what has happened in our Old Testament lesson. We are shocked and abhorred by the fact that God would want Abraham to raise a knife and slaughter his son. But really that is not so shocking and abhorrent. It is not wrong. God does not lie. God does not sin. God does not perpetrate evil. In fact, if he is the God who can raise the living, raise the dead the God of the living and the dead, the God who makes alive and the God who kills, then a knife raised and slaughtering a son is no matter for him. And that is what Abraham believes, in fact. He believes that even if he should raise his knife and kill his son, God can and will raise him from the dead. I think we like to imagine that Abraham was hesitant, halting on his way to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. I don't imagine that he was happy, but he was confident. He was sure. That God was not asking him to do something evil, but that God was asking him to do something that would fulfill God's purposes, that God would keep his promises, that God would deliver just as he said he would. God had said, in Isaac, I will make a great nation of you. And in Isaac, all the families of the world will be blessed. God is going to keep that promise. That means that even if Isaac dies, yet he will live. Abraham believed that although God asked him to slaughter Isaac on that altar, God did not want him dead. And God would provide. God would make a way. Whether it was by a ram caught in the thicket or by resuscitating Isaac and raising him to life, Abraham believed. Abraham chose well. The more shocking thing is not that God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. The more shocking thing is that Abraham does it. That he is willing to do it. That he has already done it in his heart that he has given up his son his only son whom he loves to his heavenly father because he knows that his son belongs to him in the first place he knows that nothing good that he has he has not received from god he knows that nothing in his life not even his own breath should not be offered up to god as a sacrifice because it all belongs to god in the first place it would not be like offering sacrifices to idols made of wood and stone who cannot return anything for those favors, who cannot answer prayers, who certainly do not hear them. It is offering up his son to the God who loves him more than Abraham does. It is simply giving back to God what God had once given to Abraham. He knew, Abraham knew that if he clung to Isaac, if he clung to Isaac and held him tight and would not let him go, then he would be offering up Isaac to the devil. Then, he would be offering up Isaac as a sacrifice to his own flesh, to his own pride. And that would not do, because he loved Isaac. He loved Isaac, and he loved his heavenly father, and he trusted God. He knew that he couldn't steal Isaac from God, but that the best thing for Isaac was to belong to God. Abraham chose well in believing God and offering up his son as a sacrifice. And I don't think we can ever get over the shocking nature of that story. But as much as you can see that there is a choice in this life as to whom you will offer your sacrifices, I think it helps a little bit. But that story is not meant merely to show us the choice between faith and unbelief. It's meant to show us something even grander, something even more important. In that picture of Abraham and Isaac, we see the beginnings of a family that God had promised to the world in order to rescue the world. Abraham had a son, Isaac, who had a son, Jacob, who had a son, Judah, and down on through the ages, through David, through Solomon, through Mary and Joseph, to Jesus, born in a manger. God kept his promise. We see it even there, even there where God asks Abraham to offer up his son. God kept his promise and delivers to us Jesus, not merely a baby born in a manger, not just another human like you and me, but God himself. God himself offers up his son. God himself, in his heart, has already given everything to the ones to whom he is devoted. And who is that? Who does God offer his sacrifice for? but you. It's no wonder that Abraham, who believes God, would be willing to offer up his son because he knows that God is willing to give everything to him. Who would you rather offer sacrifices to? The God who has given his life, the life of his very son, his only begotten son, given him over to hell for your sake, to save you, to rescue you from death and the devil. Who would you rather offer sacrifices to? That God or the devil? who is a murderer and a liar from the beginning. In Abraham, we see a picture of faith, a picture of faith that we should strive to imitate, but more importantly, we see in Abraham and Isaac a picture of what God is going to do for you in these coming weeks. As he holds before your eyes on Maundy Thursday, the betrayal of his son, he hands over his son into the hands of sinful men. And on Good Friday, when that sun is lifted up on the wood of a cross, bound and scorched by God's wrath, offered up as a sacrifice for your sins. In Abraham and Isaac, we see a picture of God's love. But just as there was a ram that was offered in the place of Isaac, so also as Jesus is offered in your place, when he rises from the dead, when God keeps his promise, when God vindicates Jesus over the devil and death, so also does he deliver that to you so also does he give all good things to you. Offer your sacrifices to God. Whether you think about your children or anything else that you have in your life, offer it to God. Offer it up to God. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God. Not because you can appease him, not because you can please him or earn his favor, but because he is the God who raises the dead. He has given you all good things. And he means to give you only good things from this day forward. He has, in fact, given you his only son. Put your hope in him. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.